Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our Audio Conference for Pastors on Essential Church, Reclaiming a Generation of Dropouts, with our guest, Dr. Tom Rayner and Pastor Sam Rayner. My name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's conference. Let me introduce to you first our two guests for today's conference, and then we'll jump right into our conference. Dr. Tom Rayner has been the president of Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville, Tennessee, since February of 2006. Lifeway is the Southern Baptist Convention's national entity that is responsible for resourcing churches in the area of education ministries, church programs, and publications. Dr. Rainer has also served as a pastor, seminary professor, researcher, and consultant, among other positions. He has written numerous books, including most recently, Simple Church, Raising Dad, and now Essential Church, to be published in the fall. Dr. Rainer is married to Nellie Joe, and they have three sons. One of his sons is Sam Rainer, and Sam serves as the pastor of First Southern Baptist Church of Floyd's Knob, Indiana. He is a writer, researcher, and president and CEO of Rainer Research, a research firm dedicated to providing answers for better church health. He writes a regular column and blog for Outreach Magazine, and his first book is Essential Church. Uh, he is the co-author of that book with his father, and it will be published in September, I believe, of 2008. Pastor Sam is pretty much still a newlywed, married in December of 2006 to Aaron. Dr. Rayner and Pastor Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to welcome you to today's audio conference for pastors. Thanks, Bobby. Great to be here, and uh, great to hear my son on the other end of the line, too. Sam, you there? Great to be here, yes. Great. Well, we're glad to have both of you guys with us today, uh, joining us to be a part of this. i tell you what we want to do. We, we don't have but 39 minutes to be able to kind of throw out the essence of uh, the research and the, the work that you've done in this book that's going to be soon published. So, uh, Dr. Rainer, let me start with you. I, I want to ask you to kind of set the stage for us, uh, lay some groundwork for us for the rest of the conference, uh, giving us the, the important information that we need uh, to understand this uh, process you went through and now have come to uh, with Essential Church and helping us to understand what we need to do to reclaim this generation of dropouts. Thanks, Bobby. Uh, Sam and I are really going to break this down into two major segments. I know that we're going to answer it in five questions, but you will hear really us focusing on two major areas. Uh, mine is going to be more of the prescriptive, what do we do about the problem. Sam is going to be more about the descriptive, what is the problem, how was the research done. Uh, simply stated, the problem is that we're losing 70% of those between the ages of 18 and 22, and those are the, that are active in church. And we took that data, uh, Lifeway Research did a data of several hundred uh, over a few month period and interviewed them, not only those who dropped out, but uh, those who stayed during that time. And from that data, we said, okay, why are we losing them? And what do churches look like that are losing them? And what do churches look like that are keeping them? And that became the thesis for Essential Church. And the simple thesis is this, and we will explain it more fully as the conference goes on. Churches that are essential to the lives of their members are the churches that reach and keep. Now, that sounds very simple. That sounds very obvious. But we will break it down in uh, just a moment. There are going to be really four components to what an essential church looks like. 
and we, Sam and I will make reference to these four components probably three or four times just for the sake of redundancy uh, so that it'll, it'll be obvious to all of our listeners. The four components of essential church, the four areas that successful churches are reaching and keeping people are the following. One, simplify, have the right structure. Two, deepen, have the right content. Three, expect, have the right attitude. And four, multiply, have the right action. In summary, make certain that you have a structure that has a process of discipleship. Secondly, never neglect deep biblical truths. Third, raise the bar, have high level of expectations. And four, be a multiplying church, a church that is intentional about reaching people and multiplying its numbers and its units. Very good. Uh, and and as you said, we'll come back to, to look at those four components uh, several times more as we move forward. Uh, let me ask you to do this. Let's go ahead and look at our first question. Many of our conferees have already downloaded a discussion guide that has our five questions on it. Uh, and so let's just move right through those. Uh, Dr. Lander, why don't we start with you in talking about uh, a little bit about the parallel between essential church and the previous study in the book released on simple church, some of those principles. How is an essential church related to many of those same principles? that you guys talked about and, and unpacked in Simple Church? Uh, Bobby, there's a number of ways that I could answer the question, and for the sake of brevity, I'm going to probably answer it just two ways. One, it's, uh, it's part two. Um, it's, it, is, it is a continuation of Simple Church. But a second way of saying it, Simple Church provided a structure or a foundation from which we built Essential Church. As you heard, the four components of what an essential church looks like, the first component that I named was simplify. A church must have the right structure. Now, is is that the most important of the four components? Absolutely not. Deepen the right content, true biblical depth, that's more important. Right attitude, expect, we need to raise the bar of what it means to be a part of God's church. That's more important. Multiply, reaching people for Christ, creating new units within our church, or perhaps even creating new units outside of our church. That's more important than the right structure. But here, here is where the simple church comes in. Neither deepen, nor expect, nor multiply can take place well unless you have the right structure. I use a medical or perhaps a body metaphor to say that simplify, the simple church, is like the bones of a body. We might say that the organs are more important, the brain is more important, etc., but try to have a functioning body without a skeletal system. When Eric and I wrote Simple Church a few years ago, and it has been received well because many churches identify with the complexity of which they are a part, we were building the structure. We were building the foundation. Then Sam and I took this issue of church dropouts between the ages of 18 and 22, and we asked the question, what does a church look like that's not losing them or conversely that is keeping them? And we said they had four total components of which Simplify was one of them. And I know that probably many of the listeners have either heard Eric uh, when he did this conference or uh, they've downloaded it since then. And you might remember that a simple church in itself this one of the four components, it has four component, components, clarify, 
make sure you that your mission is your process discipleship movement, have people intentionally moving along the process, alignment, make certain that all of your ministries, programs, etc. are lining up with your purpose and your mission and focus, eliminate the rest that does not matter. So in simplified terms, to, to be redundant, simple church is one p- component of the essential church, and you might say it's the skeleton of essential church. Okay, let me follow up a little bit here, Dr. Rainer. The, the simple church model, I believe, if I, I remember right, and I don't have it in front of me, but the subtitle is Making Disciples Basically God's Way, right. uh, a simplified way of going back and looking at, at that process. Um, essential church then basically takes that, as you said, step two, to, to another level of saying once we have uh, a process of helping to uh, make disciples, the the essential church then moves it not so much from the individual as it does more to the the corporate body the local body of believers then and seeing how that looks then if if I understand you right that is correct but I, I would say that both essential church and simple church are dealing with both individuals and corporate what essential church does it, to the structure, it adds content, it adds expectations, and it adds a multiplying action. And what Sam and I did is, uh, from this research of 18 to 22-year-old dropouts, we found out the churches that were doing this and the churches that were not. And so the difference between the two the, the, on the positive side became the essential church. So I, I guess the, uh, the the basic way of saying it is simple church became the foundation and structure upon which the rest of the primary issues of the church were addressed. Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and move on to the second question. And uh, Pastor Sam, if you don't mind, I want to throw this one to you to begin with. I, I love the way your dad uh, laid out the prescriptive, descriptive uh, idea uh, of approaching this. And, and this next question uh, of what does an essential church look like uh, is really, I think, where the rubber hits the road for many of us uh, in the local church. Now, Understanding uh, those who are listening today are from a wide background, a very diverse background of churches. Some are very small uh, churches, uh, pastors in small situations, uh, many of them in in a diverse context, everywhere from a rural context to a city or an urban context, uh, and others who are uh, church planters or directors of missions uh, in lots of different ways that are trying to help facilitate health and growth in these churches. So help us to understand a little bit better what does that essential church look like? Sure, um, and we do believe that this this process or this these components of of looking at your church are certainly applicable um, to um, any demographic, any location, any style, any venue, any any different type of church. Um, and just to re- reiterate, one of the things that we want to point out: this was a national survey, and we found that, um, as, as my father stated earlier, that 70% of those that will drop out do so between the ages of 18 and 22. And that's really across the board. So this isn't a problem at large churches. It's not just a problem at small churches. It's a problem that we see um, predominantly throughout uh, churches of all types. And and so we believe and we think that the research, what it, what it has shown to us is that uh, becoming an essential church is, is certainly something that we can all we can all do, and myself as a pastor, you know, I, you know, I'm right there in the thick of it with uh, with the, the other guys that are that are pastors and other people that are lay leaders. Um, but um, at, at its core, um, my father touched on this a little bit as far as what an essential church looks like. Um, it, that first step is simplification. It's developing a process for making disciples. And um, Eric Geiger obviously is really going to expound upon this. Um, those who haven't downloaded uh, his his uh, conference from your website could probably do so and learn a lot more about it. 
Um, but essential churches take that first step. They intentionally try to move members into small groups. They intentionally try to move people into Sunday school classes. They intentionally try to move people into ministry teams. And you know, within this context, relationships are formed and built. And so just getting the structure right, it, it, it can be difficult, and it, it is the first step. It's the skeleton, as my father said. Um, essential churches, no matter what size, they strive to connect newer members with others in the church. Um, non-essential churches just assume it will happen. Um, so without this simple structure, um, the other parts of an essential church, just they don't come easily. Um, deepening, expecting, and multiplying, um, they are more important, as my father said, but they come a lot harder without the structure in place. Um, moving on past simplification, the next phase really is deepening. Not only do you simplify, get the structure right, you deepen, you get the content right. And one of the things that is really important to me and what our research found through uh, the thousand people that we interviewed is that depth and relevance are not mutually exclusive. You do not have to choose between a church that is relevant to the culture, no matter what your culture is, whether it's rural or urban, and one that teaches deep biblical truths. And we found that essential churches, um, how they deepen, they first have deep preaching from the pulpit. And you know we have a whole chapter dedicated to the, to the main man, the, the pastor, and, and how deep preaching is critically important in deepening uh, the content of the church. The next layer is small group Bible study. Um, we call it Sunday school in, in Southern Baptist life. Others call them life groups, small groups, home groups. The name's not important, but the main thing is not only do you get deep preaching, you get deep Bible study in a small group set, setting. And and lastly, um, these churches, these essential churches, they encourage and they provide a way and a means for members to study God's Word on their own, whether that be a through the Bible reading plan that's published or some other method. Um, they're encouraging their members to get deep on their own, not just from the pulpit, not just in a group setting, but also individually. So we have simplify, get the structure right, deepen, get the content right. We want to get the attitude right as well, and we want to raise the expectations of our churches. Churches that are nonchalant about membership end up being non-essential churches. And the healthiest churches that are out there, these essential churches, they tend to have a healthy balance of reasonable expectations within the church. And so, you know, your mission statement, your vision statement, your purpose statement, whatever you call it, it's of little value, really, unless it's actionable. And we we found through our research and other research that one of the best introductions into a high-expectation church, those churches that get the attitude right, they have a new members class. And they also really hone in on small groups. Um, one stat that's been thrown around that's a very important stat that's included in our research is that five years after joining, talking about small groups here, five years after joining, 83% of new members will remain active in a, in a, in a local church if they are involved in worship and small groups. So over 8 out of 10, if they are involved in small group and worship five years after joining, um, they're going to remain in the church. But only 16% remain if they attend a worship service alone. So small groups are critically important to, to getting the attitude right in the church, the expectations right in, in the church. And lastly, multiplication, um, getting the action right. Um, let's define multiplication first. It's really any form of outreach. It's you know groups church plants, personal evangelism, anything that's outwardly focused is what we consider multiplication. And um, one of the critical ways that we found that essential churches multiply is to reaching out to those young adults who recently dropped out. And in fact, many of these young adults are still kind of what we call loitering in the church. Um, they attend sporadically. Uh, people in the church typically don't reach out to them because they assume that they're still part of the church. 
They assume that uh, they're still attending, although it may not be regularly, but in reality they might be right on the fence of dropping out. And the key to this is friends and family. And exactly one half of these that were rechurched, those that we interviewed, those that, that came back into the church, um, almost one half of them are back because of encouragement from a friend or a family member. And, you know, obviously we don't ever want to underestimate the power of an invitation. Sometimes that's all it takes to take to get a person from about ready to drop out or have recently dropped out to back into the church, just a simple invitation, encouragement from friends and family. So to, to say it again, what does an essential church look like? They, this, this, the essential church simplifies. They get their structure right first. Then they deepen. They get the content right. They they. they go deeper as far as small groups, deep preaching, and individual Bible study. They raise the expectations of the church, they get the attitude right, and lastly, they multiply. They get the action right. Now, the issue of intentionality, I think, is critical uh, from the very beginning. That this, this has to be a process. I would presume that uh, the recommendation would be not, not just that the pastor understands this process of intentionality, but uh, the entire church uh, buys in to the idea of moving members not not only through the the process of becoming disciples but of of incorporating them assimilating them into the fellowship of the church through the, through these small groups through worship through these other activities uh as well and i i think that's probably critical did did, did you find any uh legalism when you start looking at that that raising uh the, the right attitude that expectation area did did that was that perceived by some as, as being too legalistic for setting these standards, et cetera, et cetera? How was that, that played out? Sure. Uh, some of the, the people that we interviewed most certainly stated that one of the reasons they dropped out was because they viewed the church as hypocritical. They, they, they saw too much judgment, judgment in the church, um, people you know, with their eyes on them. So there, there's a fine line there between um, those churches that raise the bar of expectations but do so reasonably. Obviously, if you have a new member, a new Christian, um, you know your level. Their level of involvement is not what you would expect to be with somebody who's more spiritually mature. And so that is something um, that churches will have to to weigh out as far as individually. Is um, yes, you want to intentionally move people along this process of discipleship. But at the same time, this is not a checklist. You know, it's not like you've got your vision statement, you've got your expectations. And you're going to, you know, each member, you're going to check down the list. Okay, are they doing this? Are they doing this? Are they doing this? Because then it be, can become legalism. And when it when it gets to that point is when people feel like they're being judged um, as far as, as their walk. And while it, as we as pastors are called to make sure that we're holding people accountable at the same time, this is not a checklist as far as, you know, we have to do all these sorts of things before we're essential. Right. Well, let's move on to the next question, Sam, and we can continue to unpack some of this. But why, why do essential churches keep this uh, uh, generation that we seem to be losing, this 18 to 20-year-old group? Well, the bottom line is just that. Um, this group, we interviewed over 1,000, um, 70% of them that dropped out did so between the ages of 18 and 22, and that's the one step that we just want to really hit home with because most of our problem with church dropouts occur within this short four-year window um, if we solve it within this 18 to 22-year-old age group, it's going to help solve the problem everywhere. Clearly, we think that these um, the research was focused in on this, these young adults, but clearly we think the research is applicable um, to all age groups. And we want to get the church from being from a from a point of essential, or from a point of optional rather, to really essential in their lives. 
And those churches that keep this age group, that keep young adults, that keep everyone, um, are churches that aren't optional. They're not just another social venue. Um, they're they're essential to the lives of the people, and the people there feel like they're integral to the church itself. And where this really plays out is we we have a list of, of reasons that these young adults said they dropped out of the church, and at the top of the list is they simply wanted a break. And we found that you know quite shocking that you know that they just felt like that it was a chore, that it was tedious, that church was something that they were you know almost forced to do. And churches that get out of that mindset and into more of the essential mode are churches that are viewed um, as not as optional, not as just another social venue that can, you know, when life gets busy, that it goes away um, and you can come back to it when you want, but rather churches that are essential. So, so what you're saying is many of these young people, and as you said, 70% drop out during that time period, uh, that their their mindset basically was that this was a, something they could compartmentalize. This was another option. This was uh, an extracurricular activity that they found to all of a sudden become unnecessary. Absolutely, and and really this problem, it, it reaches a flashpoint, if you will, before the ages of 18 and 22. In the book, we call it the unsweet 16. At age 16, um, the percentage gains for a church become losses. So whereas, you know, 13, 14, 15, the church is adding people in that age group. You hit 16, and all of a sudden you start losing them. And it, it escalates really until the age of 21, obviously the heart of the problem between that 18 to 22-year-old age group. Um, and by really 22, most dropouts, they're already gone. So if you're trying to solve this problem with your juniors and seniors in high school, you're fighting a losing battle. So churches that are essential are churches that are recognizing this problem really as soon as somebody accepts Christ and they're beginning to disciple them at that point. Hey, Sam, excuse me for interrupting on your question. Do you have sure. to happen to have the top ten in front of you? I do. Do you want me to list them off? Yeah, just 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 go through those quickly. It's it's just kind of amazing to hear the top ten reasons that 18 to 22-year-olds leave. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Top ten reasons 18 to 22-year-olds leave. First and foremost, as I said earlier, they simply wanted a break from church. Secondly, church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. Thirdly, they moved to college and stopped attending church when they moved. Fourth, work responsibilities prevented them from attending. Fifth, they moved too far away from the church and didn't start attending a church where they moved to. Sixth, they just became too busy. Seventh, they didn't feel connected to people in the church. Eight, they disagreed with the church's stance on political or social issues. Nine, they chose to spend time with friends outside of the church. And ten, they were only going to church to please others. It sounds to me like, as I've listened to you give those ten, uh, six or seven of those, especially near the top, was once again to repeat what you said, and I'm going to back out and stop taking your question time, but that church was not essential to their lives. It was optional. Right. And I think a lot of the top ten uh, carry that theme um, what we don't see in this top ten, in fact, really not even it wasn't even the top twenty-five, is worship style. Um, things that we hmm. typically think of as oh, that's pushing them away. Um, we definitely uncovered some myths about church dropouts in our, in our study. One myth was that uh, people think they're planning to leave, and we found that eight out of ten that do drop out were not planning to leave in the first place. It just kind of happened, and that goes back to this. You know, church was optional when it when life became too busy, when life changes occurred, 
when things happened, they just they just left. You know, Sam, one of the things that that I, I guess is a little shocking uh, here is it, it seems to me that this age group are very much wanting to have community. They're very much wanting to have the interaction. I mean, we're we're living in an age of MySpace and Facebook and and uh, that that's the if i'm not mistaken that's the the market area that those types of social internet networks are just exploding uh more than almost any other age group so so it's not that they don't want interaction it's not that they don't want genuine relationships it's not that they're not looking for something to fill the voids in their life but what i hear you saying uh, in the the descriptive uh explanation of this is that our churches are have lost the ability to help them to see that that this is this needs to be an essential part of their life that it's a place where there is genuine community. Did you unpack any anything that would help us to understand uh, how we can, as churches, be more effective at helping to build that kind of community for that age group? Absolutely. In fact, we have a whole chapter dedicated um, to the fact that these dropouts are looking for a different kind of community. Um, the church used to be the locus of community. I mean, some of these churches, even where I live, you know, they're right in the center of downtown. People used to go there, even if they weren't members, just to hang out. It's where you learn the news. It's it's where you shot the breeze. It's it's um, where people just went and gravitated towards. What we have now is um, the church has been removed from the locus of community, and the church is now more optional. And one of the ways that our research uncovered that you can do this is uh, to begin to bring the church back into what we call the third place. And the third place is a sociological term for a place away from home and from work where people congregate in community. Um, the best way to think about it is Starbucks. Um, people pay, they go to Starbucks, they pay $1 for a cup of coffee and then $3 for an experience of communal gathering. Um, Starbucks is selling an experience, it's selling a sense of community. It's not just the coffee, although the coffee is pretty good. Um, the church needs to regain that status. It needs to be brought back into the locus of community. It needs to be the third place. Now, building a coffee shop is not the magic bullet if you do that in your church, um, but there are things like that that will help build a sense of community and, and speak outward um, to those who are either thinking about dropping out or have dropped out. Well, we could talk about this a lot longer, but we need to move on to our fourth question because we're going to run out of time. Uh, Dr. Rayner, let me throw it to you and ask, uh, what are some of the major barriers to becoming an essential church for uh, our churches? One of the fun things about this this entire research project, perhaps the most fun thing, was uh, I did it with my son. And I will, I will say this uh, uh, without any intention of false flattery or parental bias toward my son. He's much smarter than I am. And he, he's, he's a better researcher than I am. He's, he is a better writer. And that was, that was just one of the fun things about this. I'm going to come back to your question. But another fun thing about this project was we were able to take a specific project, which was uh, dropouts 18 to 22-year-old. Not only were we able to get some descriptive information and tell the church what's wrong, but we were able to get prescriptive information. A large portion of the research from prescriptive has come from many research projects. It's a building upon many, many research projects. And Sam was able to take not only this research project, but research projects of the past, uh, recent enough where the data is still current, and to come up and say, why are some churches essential? And why are some churches not essential? Now, 
uh, at an average of about five minutes per question, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pressed to even begin talking about why, what are some of the major barriers to becoming an essential church. But let, let me just try to hit perhaps, I, I know many who are listening in are pastors, or at least they're those who work with pastors. Uh, let me just try to get some of the issues that we think could becoming a major barrier uh, to an essential church. One would be moving at the wrong speed. Uh, one of the uh, research project books that I wrote early in my uh, writing ministry was a book called Eating the Elephant. And the question that Eating the Elephant asked is, um, you know, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer was one bite at a time. Uh, the the sub-answer to that is, okay, how fast are you biting? And perhaps a sub-sub-answer is, what end are you biting? And that would be a whole other discussion into itself. But the whole idea is there are some churches that can accept change at a fairly consistent and even fast pace. There are others where you have to move it from the perspective of the leader what may be seen to be slow as molasses. So you have to have a cultural understanding that as you move toward a church just becoming an activity church, a church with just a, a myriad of unrelated seemingly programs and ministries and activities to a church that is essential, uh, that requires some significant change in the life of the church, and moving at the wrong speed can be one of the barriers. Uh, related to that would be short-term pastorates. Uh, a, a pastor typically does not become a pastor into, in a church until about his fifth year. Uh, that is not to suggest that a pastor should not be uh, seeking to lead and even uh, engender change in those first five years, but uh, churches are slow, typically, to accept leadership, and the buy-in is slow. So when we have an average pastor in, my, in our denomination of a, about 3.2 years, you can see that many pastors have not even gotten to the point where they have earned the chits necessary to implement change, so short-term pastorates. Another one is just busyness. That's what Simple Church was, was about. Churches have become incredibly activity-driven, and there's so much that is going on that we are not doing the main thing. And so the busyness in the life of a church, is there, there, if, if someone is at the church when there are expectations for some of them to be at the church, their whole life is con often consumed with activities that lead to burnout. So Simple Church tried to address that issue of doing those things that matter. Another barrier for leaders, whether they are pastor, staff, or lay leaders, is a failure to love people. This is this is not just a book about structure, doctrine, attitude, evangelism, actions, etc. It, it is a book about having the right heart. It's, it, is a, it is a research, uh, but ultimately it is what is the heart of a pastor? What is the heart of the people? Do they love unconditionally? Uh, one of my favorite lines about churches is that they would be one of the best places in the world to minister if it wasn't for the people. Well, Christ loved us first, and we must love the people as closely as we possibly can in his power, uh, even when they are difficult, as one book said, well-intentioned uh, dragons. Another uh, obstacle or barrier is majoring on minors. Many churches spend so much time on the non-essential issues that they do so at the neglect of the essential. Sometimes it's not that we're doing bad things, it's just that we're doing good things. And in my book, Breakout Churches, I have the little quote, it's a sin to be good when God has called us to be great. There's a great commission, a great commandment. Love is the greatest of these. We are called to major on majors instead of majoring on minors. Another barrier, and I'll go through these quickly, is dealing with conflict poorly. Uh, that That is a subject into itself, but uh, 
many pastors and staff and lay people are struggling because of conflict issues and many of them have dealt with it poorly from one perspective or the other and i could go on and on bobby i'll just name one more at this point uh, another barrier to becoming an essential church is being a program-driven church or an activity-driven church. Many people will hear that and they'll say that Rayner has made a statement that we are anti-program or anti-activity. No, we're not. We're anti-program-driven. We're anti-activity-driven. We should be ultimately driven to make our churches the best that Christ wants them to be, utilizing programs and activities instead of the programs or the activities being the end. They should be a means to a greater cause. So we think that the church, I mean, we, I know we've had purpose-driven, we've had all kind of drivens in there, but we think essentially the church should be essential-driven to become essential in the lives of people. I'm going to stop there. There's too much. I understand. Let me ask you a question real quick, and this kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, and you may not be able to do this, but <clears throat> I know because the book has not been released yet, uh, and I believe I was told that uh, it's to be released in September. Is that correct? Yeah, we're having a pre-release at the Southern Baptist Convention, and the only way you can get a um, hold a copy of it is to sign up for Lifeway Research. So we're we're doing a little connecting with Lifeway Research, and we're going to give away. Uh, I believe 350 books at the, at the Southern Baptist Convention, and then the formal release will be on September 1. Okay, I, I was thinking that. Uh, I, I know that I have the executive summary uh, that your assistant sent me to be able to prepare for the conference today, uh, uh, and it's not very long, a few pages long, but gives a good overview of the, the book and the research. Uh, good, I hadn't it, seen it. Oh, you hadn't seen it. <laughs> well, I'll send you a copy. I hope, she, I hope she did a good job on it. Well, I'm sure she did. She's done a good job preparing us for the conference. But my question was, uh, would it be permissible for us to send that executive summary to all of our conferees? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not might, really long, might, but it, it would give a good overview. Want, you might want to let us look at it and make sure that we're right on board on that. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you and let you look at it, and then uh, we'll we'll send that on to our conferees because that may be helpful in helping them to digest the, the, the whole picture. Uh, because we are limited in what we can do uh, today. Well, let, let's throw it back. Well, Sam, do you have any follow-up comments on the barriers? No. Um, um, Dad really touched on several of them, and I, I think that many of your listeners probably, if they didn't, you know, could resonate with one or two or three of them, if not all of them. Well, I, no, no question. I, I guess the one that stands out uh, to me is the, the last one that you mentioned there, Dr. Rainey, on program-driven. I often say to the guys I work with and the, the pastors and stuff, that too often times we spend all our time primping up property and propping up programs uh, and not effectively reaching people. So uh, without a question, that can be a problem. Well, Sam, let's move on and uh, look at our fifth question, and then we want to open up our, our phone lines. I have about uh, three or four minutes that we can try to deal with this, uh, and I'm sure you'll be able to do that very quickly. Uh, but let's look at uh, uh, that question. Is it possible for any size or kind of a church to become essential? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, we many churches in our own convention um, are churches of a hundred or less. Um, there are some churches that are larger, um, some churches that are in between. And one of the things that we wanted to do is to provide the local church with the means, no matter what the size, of of becoming essential. And if we could sum it up in a word, um, it would be, and you touched on it earlier, intentionality, being intentional in what you're doing as far as a church. Ha intentionally have a structure that moves people along the process of discipleship. Um, you can do that no matter what size church you are, no matter where you're located or you know what you look like. Um, so intentionally move people along the process of discipleship. 
Um, be intentional about deepening people's walk with Christ, um, whether that be through um, text-driven sermons, uh, good small groups, or um, really encouraging your members individually on, on, on a one-on-one basis as far as diving deep in the Word. Be intentional about it. Um, intentionally reach outward in the community um, to those that have strayed from the church, those that used to be in your church, um, those that have never been in your church, but seek them in whatever context is relevant for your church. Intentionally seek them. And I'll, I'll end with this. Um, one of the things, one of the bottom line pieces of what our research found is that the churches that are healthiest inwardly are the ones that are the healthiest outwardly. The healthiest churches that are um, you know, diving deep in the gospel and getting healthy inwardly are the ones that are also um, looking outward for the sake of the gospel, and they're intentional about it. Very good. Uh, Dr. Reiner, any follow-up to that? I never can uh, follow up him. He's just too good. It's, it's just like it's just like following a, a a a good speaker. You know, I say, don't ever put a good speaker in front of me. Let me let me go after the worst one, and then they will tell me you are the worst one. So I always have to follow a good speaker. Well, I, I think both of you do quite well without any problems. Well, let's do this then. Uh, there are other things we can discuss, obviously, uh, in this area, but I do want to uh, make sure we have enough time for those who are in our conference today to ask questions. Uh, so let's take a quick pause. And uh, let me open the phone lines. What I'd like to do uh, is ask all of our conference participants. You'll need to self-mute your telephone. Uh, You can do that on the conference bridge by pressing 4-star. Then if you decide to ask a question or make a comment, you'll need to press 4-star again to unmute your phone. Uh, Your phone may have the ability or your computer to mute it some other way, and that's fine, uh, as long as you'll mute it, because what I'm going to do is unmute uh, the entire conference. Uh, and then when you do ask a question, we'd ask you to do us a favor. That's give us your name and where you serve before asking your question or making your comment. Uh, that way we'll have some kind of an idea of who you are uh, and where you're calling from. If there's much of a lull, then I'll jump back in and we'll continue our conversation with our, our uh, uh, guest today. So let me unmute the phone. Now that that's done, I want to ask that uh, we open the lines up. I know that Dennis Houston is supposed to be on the line, Minister of Students in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Dennis, are you on the line? Okay, I don't hear Dennis. And Jim Twilbeck out of Tennessee. Either of you guys there? All right, don't have either of those there. Uh, both had emailed that they may have a question. Let's just open it up to the general line. Anybody else have a question, if you'll give us your name and where you serve, and then ask your question for us. Okay, do we have anybody out there? <laughs> it sounds like they're all dead, doesn't it? Do, do we have somebody there? Go ahead. Bobby, this is Steve Patterson in Joplin, Missouri. Yes, Steve. Speak up real clear for us, and we can hear you. Go ahead and ask your question. Well, I was intrigued by the uh, ten reasons why that uh, many of these in this age group drop out, but I missed the last two, and I was wondering if I might be able to have Sa- uh, Sam or, or uh, Tom speak to that. Go sure, for it, Sam. I can give you nine and ten. Um, the ninth was that they chose to spend time or more time with friends outside of the church. And then the okay. tenth was that they were only going to church to please others. Very good. Thank you for that clarification. Steve, do you have any other kind of a question you'd like to follow up with there? Uh, no, I think that that takes care of it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank, Thank you. Sir. All right. Do we have other questions? Someone else on the line that would like to ask a question? Bobby. Yes. 
this is Zane Brown from Walterboro, South Carolina. Thank you, sir. Go ahead and ask your question for Dr. Rainer and Pastor Sam. Uh, we have a group of pastors here, and, and one question was, can you define a non-essential church? Sam, right, you want to give it a shot? <laughs> I'll be happy to if you don't. Well, I would go back to the word intentional. A non-essential church is a church that is an unintentional church. Um, they are you know, program and event-driven and they don't see how each of the ministries connect to the final vision purpose uh, of the church. Um, they're the what of who they are, um, you know, whatever they say they are, whatever their vision, their purpose, mission statement, the what of whatever that is doesn't match with the how. Um, they aren't um, seeing how people move from step to step to step within their vision statement, whether that be glorify God, grow with others, go into the world, love God, you know, grow with others, serve the world, however you state it. Um, those churches that are non-essential are the churches um, that that don't see how each of the ministries of their church connect and pushing people through the process of discipleship. And Sam, you're, you're given a good definition from the perspective of the church, and then we have also given another definition from the perspective of the person, uh, whether they are unchurched, uh, I should say churched or de-churched, and from the perspective of the person, the individual, it is that uh, an, a non-essential church is church is not primary in their lives. Um, and we, we, we see that all the time. Uh, sports may be primary in their lives. I mean, my, my guess is, with the uh, particular question that we have, that there may be a few Clemson Tigers and South Carolina Gamecocks. And since Sam is a uh, graduate of USC, East Coast, uh, he would understand that fervency. There may be there there may be sports that's essential. There may be rightfully family matters that are essential. There may be other things, but church is seen as another option. So Sam nailed it when he uh, when he talked about what it looks like from the perspective of the church, but from the perspective of the people, it means church is optional. Very good. Thank you. All right, do we have another question for the Rainers? Um, David Watkins, First Baptist Church, Stigler. Thank you, David. Go ahead and speak up and ask your question for us. Um, on question three, you guys talked about bring, bring, uh, bring the church back to the third place. If you could just elaborate on that a little bit more, maybe some ideas or philosophies. And then one other thing on um, dealing with conflict poorly on number four, is there any resources that you guys might have that would be something good for us to know to purchase or to read online. Thank you. Hey, Sam, why, why don't you answer the first question and do a quick review of what the first and second place is so that they can understand the third place? Sure, just to expound upon the church becoming a third place. Um, as I briefly said earlier, your first place is, is your home. Um, this was a sociological, this is a a way of looking at the world through the lens of sociology. It's a term that was coined, I believe, back in the 80s by um, a guy named Ray Arroy Ortberg. Um, and what he said is that the home is the first place. That is the place where um, you spend a significant amount of your time. Another place where you spend a significant amount of your time is work, and that would be the second place. Now, what companies like Starbucks and what the church should capitalize on is the fact that people are looking for a place away from the home away from their work to congregate, um, to, to have a sense of community. It, it's, it's separate from home. It's separate from work. Um, and the church has, has lost that. They, they're no longer the third place. 
Um, they're fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth place even. They're not, you know, it's not primary, as my dad said earlier, um, in the lives of the people. And so what, what we mean by the church regaining that, that status as the locus of community, it's where people just want to go. And those churches that are essential are churches that even to non-members, just people in the community, they're opening up the, the building, the facilities, uh, the things that they do, um, their programs, their events, they're opening it up to uh, people who are you know, members of the church and then to people who aren't members of the church. And people gravitate towards it um, because they feel that that is where community is grown. I wanted to see if they if uh, they were okay on the the third place issue. And before I go to mine, did you have any follow up on that? No, that was great. Thank you. Okay. Um, in terms of resources, I'm going to uh, give you two. Um, one is going to be a single book, and then the other is going to be a list of resources via a website. Um, let, let me say one other thing, and I just kind of want to expand upon um, the third place. The most successful third place, certainly they, have to, they may have a coffee shop or something of that nature, but the most successful third places are really those that emphasize small groups or Sunday school or whatever it may be called, where people are connecting relationally. So that, that's a key issue in the third place uh, in the church. Okay, resources. Uh, I did a self-promotion of an old book. It has been revised. Uh, that book is called Eating the Elephant. It originally was the author. The uh, revised edition was with uh, me and Dr. Chuck Lawless. So you, you, you can do a Lifeway.com search for that, or don't tell anybody. You can also do an Amazon search on it too, and you can you can find Eating the Elephant there. Now another resource that I would recommend that would be free is uh, go to Lifeway.com. And just in the search, type in the word conflict, and you'll come up. I just did it while we were waiting. I came up with 94 wonderful articles. Some of these I remember well, like number two, how to respond to conflict in your church. Number four, free conflict uh, management articles, uh, how to resolve youth minister, you work, worker conflict, uh, conflict resolution in the church. Uh, that is a great free resource, uh, 94 different ones. Uh, most of them are in English. I say a few of them are in other languages. But uh, if, you just, if you just want some free downloadables and you don't want to go buy uh, the Rainer Lawless book, uh, that is a good source. And you can, uh, you can even get to the uh, uh, topics that you want within those 94 articles. So lifeway.com lifeway and then just enter in the search conflict. I hope Rainer doesn't come up when you put conflict in there. I hope it's just these articles. Uh, Dr. Rainer, let me add to that also. Uh, our last audio conference was, is with one of uh, your fellows there at Lifeway, uh, who's Dr. Roy Edgman. Oh, yeah. And uh, our, last con our, our last conference was on keys to resolving conflict. Conflict, I mean. Uh, and that audio conference is on our website and can be downloaded free of charge as well. Uh, an excellent, excellent resource. He just did great preparation and presentation of, of keys to resolving conflict in the local church and that kind of thing. So that would be another good free resource. That sounds great. All right, very good. Do we have another question uh, for the Rainers? Bobby, this is Mitchell in North Carolina. All right, Mitchell, speak up for us and go ahead and ask your question. 
these characteristics of that that's been used to describe the 18 to 22 year olds do they do they apply to other age groups Sam yes I would say they do obviously um, the the research we did focused in specifically on um, young adults it was actually a survey done of 23 to 30 30 year olds actually 18 to 30 year olds and um, their reaction to the church and why they dropped out um, because the problem is so focused um, in this age group is why we chose to, to focus on them. However, um, you could certainly extrapolate the data um, to apply to other age groups. Um, we do have some data that you know those that are really over 65, once they are past 65 and they drop out of the church, um, it's very, very difficult to get them back into the church. It's a lot easier to get somebody who has recently dropped out of the church that's a young adult back in. But clearly, we we don't want to neglect the ministry of those who are um, in the older age groups um, at the expense of focusing on, on younger age groups. But I would say that um, with some few variances that many of these same reasons would certainly be applicable to those that are older. I, I bet if we were to do a follow-up research just based upon the fact that we were uh, – see, understand, we were interviewing people up to 30 years old about – when did they drop out? And, of course, the, the big period was 18 to 22, and that's why we tell, call it the 18 to 22-year-old black hole. But if we start extrapolating some of these, I, I think if you looked at those top ten reasons, six or seven would apply across the board, and we do believe uh, – that's the descriptive issue – we do believe that the prescriptive remedy – is good across all age groups because that research on the prescriptive remedy was not limited to any one age group, but it was on healthy churches that are reaching and keeping people. So we get descriptive and we're looking at the young adults. We get prescriptive and we're looking across the board. But uh, I think the general answer is yes, it applies across the board. There obviously will be some exceptions. Uh, I doubt that many uh, 55-year-olds are going to drop out of church because they're going to college but they may be having some type of job change or a similar event, but most of them would apply across the board. Thanks. Very sure. good. Thank you. All right, do we have someone else has a question for the Rainers? Okay, let me follow up uh, with something we were talking about here relative to, uh, I guess, Sam, you were talking about uh, how what churches do to be essential churches for that age group. We talked about the the, the options they have and and the the idea of them compartmentalizing things and seeing the church not to be as essential. Uh, it's something they can put on the shelf and go, well, I may get back to that later. Uh, but if I remember right, in the very beginning, as uh, one of the two of you were talking, uh, talked about the, the essence of small groups and what a large percentage uh, of people stayed connected after five years. Can you unpack that a little bit better? Because I, I know for many years now, uh, we've seen so many things in the area of church growth and church health talk about um, that the main entry point was for worship services, and boy, the worship services have to be sharp, and worship services need to have PowerPoint visuals and all these other things that connect with the technological world in which we live today and all those kind of things. Uh, but what I was hearing you say is those things aren't near as important as the relational aspect, and the small groups helps do that. Well, sure. Um we don't want to downplay, you know, excellence in your worship. Um, and many people will come to your church, and the first touch point that they have 
the, the first thing that they see is the foyer before they even get into the sanctuary, and the first thing they're going to experience is the worship service. So that is that is very important. Um, we've actually, uh, my company's actually done some uh, research on uh, the unchurched and, and what's important to them as far as facilities, and the worship facility was the most important thing, uh, most important part of the church. That being said, um, as far as building community, building relationships, um, that's where you're going to start to assimilate people. Obviously, uh, members, uh, membership, uh, membership class is extremely important to, to lay out the groundwork, lay out the expectations of the church so that everyone knows up front um, what the leadership of the church expects. But uh, to repeat the stat that I said earlier, um, those that enter into the church, that join a church, that touch, you know, have some sort of touch point with the church, five years after joining, uh, 83% of them are going to remain if uh, they're active in both worship and small groups, but yet only 16% remain if they attend worship alone. So while worship is important, and it is many times that first impression that people have, um, you know, small groups are, are even that much more critical. So they, they build upon each other. They're, this isn't like looking at separate pieces of the pie. It's it's more of, you know, the sum of the parts are, are greater than the whole. Um, if you have a worship service that is excellent, if you have small groups that are that are pulling people in, um, then, then that's where you're really going to start retaining, uh, you know, the folks that join your church, and you know, hopefully, you know, people are not only being introduced into the church just through worship, but they're being invited to join the small group to be part of a Sunday school class, and that's where that intentionality comes in with your members. Well, it seems to me that uh, obviously we're talking a, a systemic issue as far as the systems within a church and, and moving people from one place to the other. And, and it goes back to your, your first component, that simplify the structure uh, and make it understandable uh, for people to move from one place to another, whether it's an, ent- an entry point or a touch point of a worship service or some other type of activity. You're saying they need to be, be funneled as such into those relational, smaller relational groups, if possible, uh, in hey, small groups. Bobby, if uh, I, as we were writing the last chapter of this book, I said, Sam, let's put together a case study. Uh, it's, a, it's a fictional case study, but it is really a composite of what we have researched over several years. And it was, it was kind of the research oh. project, and it was the... Um, um, what Tom Rainer would do if he pastored a church again. So it was kind of a wishful thinking. If I were pastoring a church again, here, here's here's the minimal expect here are the minimal minimal expectations that I would have of those in the church. When they come to the church, I would expect them to go through a very short term entry point class, membership, whatever, three or four hours. I would then uh, expect them to be in worship regular. I would expect them to be in an ongoing open small group on a regular basis, and on occasion go into a closed group that's like a six-week study or eight-week study, but just on occasion. I would expect them uh, to be in some type of ministry and be involved in the ministry of stewardship. And I would lay those out as a minimal expectations. And in reality, you're touching upon all of the components of the essential church, especially if that ministry has some outward focus uh, to it. And I would say this is what it means to be a part of this church, and here's what we would like you to do. And here are our expectations of you. Very good. And boy, that, that is helpful to hear that. Uh, and, and the way you've paralleled that, those expectations, but how they do parallel with what you've discovered in the Central Church. I'll tell you what, we want to open the lines up uh, one more time. We have just a couple of minutes. 
someone else that has a question. Hey, Bobby. Yes. Bobby. Go ahead. Bobby, this is Chris Baker. I uh, was wanting to find out um, through their research, just, uh, those churches that are retaining their teenagers, that are moving them into uh, seeing the church as essential, what are some of those common factors? You mean part of the teenagers themselves? Is that what I'm... Well, from the church, from the church's perspective, what are some of those common factors in those churches where teenagers are uh, are seeing church as essential? Uh, really, it, it goes back to it, it parallels perfectly with the four components. Um, the, the teenagers they do like activities, but they like to see more than activities. They 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 have to be involved in some type of process of discipleship. They have to see that church makes sense. They not only have to have to be involved in some type of process of discipleship, they they need to be deep in the word, uh, whether in a small group on their own, not whether, but in all small group on their own, and in the preaching context. In fact, Sam talks about how many of the sermons, and he talks in the book about how many of the sermons just hit right at where the teenagers are. There should be an expectation of the teenagers. They will they will rise to the level of expectation, and these teenagers should be involved in multiplication activities. They should be intentionally involved at an early age and reaching beyond themselves. So if you go back to the four components and you say, how can I plug my young teens into that, particularly at middle school, uh, you will you will see a higher retention of those teens, and it can play out. Um, you know, have an usher or two that is is ready. That's 12 years old. Um, you know, a greeter. Uh, when you go on mission trips, have both not just a, a youth mission trip and an adult mission trip, but maybe if you're going to do two, combine them and uh, do two separate trips, but where youth and adults are working side by side. Um, assimilating these students into the church is more than just you know, a place for them, uh, you know, as Ed Stetzer says, a holding tank with pizza. I mean, that's not what we're, we're wanting for our students. Um, we want them to be working side by side on mission as part of the multiplication of the church with those that are younger and those that are older. All right. Thank you, Dr. Rayner and Pastor Sam. Thank you for that question, Chris, and for others that have contributed. Uh, we are out of time for today's conference, but we want to thank both you, Dr. Rayner, and Pastor Sam, for your valuable time and your expertise with us. We surely haven't answered all of our questions about how to reclaim a generation of dropouts, but my hope is that today's conference has put us on the right track for reaching this age group for Christ and making our churches to be more essential. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you will join us again for our next audio conference for pastors. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.